Hello and welcome to the Hitman's Last Great Year, a Smack Attic podcast project. We are talking about Bret Hart's final year in the World Wrestling Federation, which is roughly 1997. I am your host, Matt Vaughn, and each week on the podcast I have a guest co-host, and this week is no different. I have my friend from Western Canada, Joel Willick is here. How are you doing, Joel? Oh, I'm doing excellent. Uh, it's a beautiful day and excited to be here and talking about some Bret Hart wrestling from the mid to late 90s. Good stuff. Man, I, I'm excited to have you here because, you know, I was, uh, I'm, you know, I'm from the East Coast and we, we treated Bret Hart as our very own because he's Canadian, of course, especially we're getting into increasingly the stuff we're watching, a time where Bret Hart is very for you know forwardly Canadian. That is his whole character, right? And so, you know, as as a Western Canadian fella, uh, you know, who was Bret Hart to you? Bret Hart was legendary growing up. I grew up um, before this time. So the first kind of 10 years of my life, I grew up about two hours outside of Calgary. So okay. everybody knew the Hart family. Bret Hart was legendary. So this is in the early 90s when he's becoming the guy in WWF. So he was legendary for us. I then moved uh, to... Uh, Saskatoon area um later fun fact first title Brett ever won was in Saskatoon at a live show against Ric Flair anyway yeah it, it was it was one that about the time of recording it was 30 years ago almost yeah, exactly 30 years ago 92 yeah we, we just had a WWE live event and they actually brought that up anyways right. uh, so I've been in two areas that are very keen and in the know of the legend of Bret Hart so lots of love from Alberta in the Calgary area and lots of love in in Saskatoon being close to Calgary but yeah Western Canada loving the Bret Hart and he's like you know I, I was thinking about it just tonight and I was like you know he really was treated the way you would treat a star athlete right like I mean I feel like he would you know, if he was going to be talked about in public in Canada and like obviously wrestling is, is it, so I feel like at this point in the 90s, I feel like most people knew what the deal with wrestling was, the predetermined nature of it. It's not like the 80s and 70s where it's like it seemed like half the crowd or more is 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 not really getting into it, but or I, I like believing it is actually happening. But I just feel like, you know, I'm like, man, like he was up there with other Canadian sports stars, right? I feel like he was, you know, he's not a Gretzky because Gretzky's obviously another plateau entirely. But just like in terms of guys who really mattered, you're like, yeah, Bret Hart would be totally at home uh, with people talking about him in Canada with the reverence you would treat. I don't know what an Eric Lindros or something like that. Like, it's just, yeah, it's like Bret Hart totally deserves that level of affection. Or just any major sports star in any other sport, like a Steve Nash in basketball yes. or yes. Uh, Elvis Stoiko. <laughs> <laughs> I would have put Bret Hart above Elvis Stoiko. Just wow. It. Okay, like, Joel, the hot take. International acclaim, even Canadian acclaim, even Canadian acclaim. Yeah. I'm putting Bret up top <laughs> because you look at, especially our generation grew up in the 90s. Even people who did not know wrestling in Canada knew Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart. Like, yeah. you knew who Bret Hart was if you never watched a professional wrestling match in your life. And that's how big he was for this country in the 90s, especially when he became the guy, you know, everybody knew who he was and the country was behind him. And like you said, like, he had this legitimacy in this country that was like every other superstar or, you know, sports superstar. He was on the sports talk shows. He was just That's treated right, like the record, another guy. He was, he was a big deal in this country during the 90s. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it's funny. It's funny to think because he came at this more serious time, like Hulk Hogan was never treated that way. Obviously, Hulk Hogan had a huge acclaim elsewhere, but he was never there was never a legitimacy to him. You know, I think it's kind of appropriate that he kind of came around uh, with Mr. T and Cindy Lauper, that rock and wrestling era where it's like those people had a claim and they had stardom. But you wouldn't walk down the street and be like, I respect the art and the person that is like Cindy Lauper. It's like nothing against her. But there's like it's kitsch, right? They were kitsch. Bret Hart was not kitsch. Bret Hart was legit. And that's the thing. It's like, it's like, yeah, weirdly, wrestling. Like, okay, wrestling's not real, but Bret Hart kind of is, right? It was almost the vibe in a way. Uh, we yeah, respect him on the level. The legend of the sharpshooter, and you know, having older brothers, yes, having the sharpshooter <laughs> applied to me many, many times in my young, young. It hurts. Life. It hurts, man. That hurts. It does. It's that real. Tears more, much more <laughs> times than I'd like to admit. But it is funny. Oh, that- just so he creates a legitimacy, right? So when you like, I have that experience of getting the sharpshooter. So when I see Brett lock in, I'm like, oh, that guy's in pain. I do. It's like, man, that guy in the ring right now in in Sacramento. I felt that same pain in my parents' basement for many times over the years. <laughs> you know, when you said that there was like people recognize Brett Hart. Like, I had a coworker who I would describe as not really a wrestling fan at all. Maybe a little bit of disdain for it. And uh, I have I have a Bret Hart figure in my office. And she was like, oh, yeah, I know Bret Hart. I know who that is. And I was like, that's crazy. Because this is someone who would, you know, outside, if they weren't in Canada, there's no chance they would have any sense who that was. And it blew my mind. I was like, man, that guy is legend. And mm-hmm. I love it. And that's what we're talking about today. Um, so, yeah, I'm, ha- I'm glad to have you here uh, for talking about the Hitman's last great year. He wrestled after this, but this is what I would consider his, his last great year. And we're talking about uh, Monday Night Raw from January 13th, 1997. It is the go-home show for Royal Rumble 97. So it's exciting that we're here on the precipice of a pay-per-view. This, uh, yeah, this was actually a taped show. So I don't know, if, Joel, if you had this kind of experience of it, but this is a time where uh, they're taping Raw. And so what they'll do, uh, we, we covered one, it was a four-hour taping block. And the first hour was live, and then they did three other shows after it. And this one, they only did two more shows after it. But uh, we're in Albany, New York, in the Knickerbocker Arena. It's about a third full. And does it feel like this is the third hour of a taping, Joel? Like, is there any sort of energy that you were like, oh, that makes sense? Or you're like, oh, not really. I mean, they seem fine. To me, they seem fine. I didn't, you telling me that now, I didn't know that going in, but I didn't catch any sort of glimpse of that. I don't think I would have noticed. Like, it, it's pretty tough to pick up on, on that thing. So, but you said this is the third hour. Yes. What were they taping the last hour? They only so they only did a three hour. This is the weird thing about it, right? Is that they'll do four hour taping blocks, um, but even on the four hour taping blocks, they still did a pile of dark matches beforehand. So that's the weird thing is that these things are actually like closer to like four and a half, five hour blocks, but this one wasn't. And so they still did a pile. Like I think they did before the first show, there was eight dark matches, uh, including a couple that they they redid for the uh, for the actual for the first raw that went live. There was like Steve Austin versus Vader happened twice, once on air, once before. Bizarre. Uh, but yeah, for whatever reason, this one's only three hours. But like, if you were in the house in Albany that night, uh, you saw a lot of wrestling and a lot of nonsense, uh, but a lot of wrestling too. So uh, yeah, let's talk about what happened in last week's episode to get people kind of caught up. I mean, they, the the fans in the in the crowd they didn't need to get catch up, and it happened you know 40 minutes ago for them. Uh, on last week's episode, Bret Hart faced off against Vader in the main events. But the real question was whether or not Shawn Michaels would be able to resist interfering while doing commentary there. And Shawn stayed put. But Psycho Sid did not. He grabbed a cameraman and uh, he brought him to the back. We were before we knew what happened there. Stone Cold Steve Austin also came out. He attacked Brett. Brett ended up losing. 
then we saw that Sid went to the back and he power bombed Shawn Michaels' mentor. Uh, the sorry, the son of Shawn Michaels' mentor, Jose the Third, is the mentor. His son is Pete. He got power bombed onto a table, but not through a table in the locker room, uh, which is a sign that they used it. it. Just you know, it's back in the day. You know, there's a lot of things that are very different about watching Raw now versus Raw then. Uh, and uh, one of them is the the tables didn't break. It just went. They just your classic like uh, like arena table, and it cracked it a little bit. And uh, I don't know, did they have to pay for that? There's no way they brought that table with them, right? Like I think they show it during the show tonight. So you actually don't have to talk about Rachel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm not. I, I wonder what the backstage of that would be. It's like go to the arena staff. Could we just wreck this table? Yeah, you guys don't. We're gonna we're gonna break this. Do you want fifty bucks? We'll just break it. Is that cool with you? Guys? Or if that I know, well, when they did, they did Raw in Halifax 2003, and uh, I think they put like a hole in the wall at one point. And I was always like, so who does, you know, I'm sure you, when you rent the arena out to them, I'm sure this is wear and tear, but it's not like, you know, fix the friggin' drywall, man. Like you just put a hole in our wall. Uh, so that's last week's episode. I will also say uh, that throughout the series, we have uh, bonus matches. So on the shows that we are covering where Bret Hart is not actually wrestling, we're going to cover a bonus match afterwards. And we do want to talk about today. It is the three-way nine-man tag team. I'm going to put that in quotes. War Games from Fall, Fall Brawl 1978 featuring Bret Hart. So we'll talk about that after the show. So I'm just saying that up top here so that when we finish up talking about Raw, don't worry. We still have Fall Brawl 98. And I will say this. I didn't realize that match was as chaotic as it is. And maybe not the greatest showcase of Bret Hart. But we'll talk about the context and why we talked about it then. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about Monday Night Raw, January 13th, 1997. Uh, like we said earlier, there were no dark matches before this. It was just Raw. And so we begin with a dramatic video telling us that people were shocked that Psycho Sid powerbomb Jose Lothario's 19-year-old son last week. Also, Shawn Michaels is signing autographs in a bar in San Antonio ahead of Royal Rumble. And uh, it's just strange to me to put these two things together because you have this video being like, Psycho Sid did something terrible. And Shawn Michaels just like signing signing shirts for drunk people in a bar. <laughs> he's just he's just talking with people. And I they, I think it's called Park Place. And I looked it up because I was confused because Park Place is a neighborhood in San Antonio. There's also a bar called Park Place. Hmm. And I was and like, oh, a, okay. It's a famous bar, I assume. I don't know. I don't think you get a famous bar. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> They got their name on Raw, so. Yeah, it's no denim and diamonds, which we hear about a little bit later on. Uh, also in the video, we hear that Bret Hart wants to win the Royal Rumble, which is coming up, but he was attacked once again by Steve Austin on Superstars, where he was chop blocked, hit was hit with a Stone Cold Stunner, and had his leg pilmanized. It was the, the you know when you when you put the the chair over the ankle and you jump on it. I mean Brian Pillman was on you know I think he's he got pilmanized probably two months ago in the time of Raw that we're talking about. He's still on crutches. I think he'll be on crutches for a while. Bret Hart will he be in crutches? It doesn't you know. No, the answer is no to that. The pil- <laughs> pilmanizing is weirdly not consistent here, and I don't know why. Because it's supposed to be death, and then they'll just do it sometimes, and it's like, ah, he's hurt. Yeah, like a lot. Wanna, they just want to build that drama for Bret Hart, and I think that's good because you've seen somebody you said from a couple weeks ago had it done to them, and they were done. So then it really oh, yeah. raises the stakes for Bret in the Rumble. That's right. I just hope that Steve Austin is not trying to go to Bret's house and. Uh, get involved with a gun which is what happened before with Brian Pillman that's what that storyline goes to is that was so that had happened 
prior to this. I think it was it was November December. Yeah, it was like so it was like a month or two ago on, on Raw. There, like it's just this crazy intense thing where Stone Cold Steve Austin is committing the uh, is uh, breaking and entering, and then uh, you know uh, Pillman's trying to stand his ground with a gun, and you're like, is this 1996? This sounds like 299. This sounds like crazy. And and anyway. The Attitude Era, we're realizing, is kind of fading into this point. It is not going to just, like, hit with a big tidal wave. It's, like, kind of weird things are happening over time. Yeah, where you can you can see the the sprinkling of what we'd see full-fledged in the Attitude Era. Big time. A few weeks ago, they even, I think Vince and JR even talked to, like, sensibly, like, oh, there's a lot of attitude going on. And you're like, oh, that's why that word must have, like, became in vogue. It's like, you're just talking about it a lot, the Vince thing. It's not, not, not far off from when uh, Vince kept calling WrestleMania stupendous. That was that was oh, the whole yes. thing. <laughs> that was that was much. That was much. Yeah, I don't think Triple H is gonna describe WrestleMania as stupendous, but we'll see. Uh, and yeah, we then we hit the raw intro, uh, which I didn't realize has as much saxophone as it does, but it's in there. It's some pretty nineties stuff in there. Um, yeah, I was I Joel, I we saw the raw intro for the first time only a few weeks ago because they've been doing these cold intros before. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on there that's not from raw. It's just from like pay views and stuff. I don't know if they even can. There's stuff from like WrestleMania ten on there. I'm pretty sure. Oh, I don't, I, I don't think I really noticed. It's like Sean coming off a ladder. I'm like, he didn't do that on Raw. <laughs> like, that's, that's on <laughs> Razor. Am I crazy? Anyway, uh, I digress. Yes, we go right into a match, though. We have Jerry Lawler and Triple H against Mark Marrow and Goldust, the main event anywhere in the country, of course. And uh, right away, once again, Honky Tonk Man is on commentary at ringside. He's looking for a guy to mentor, someone he's going to make the next Honky Tonk Man. And I was like, man, they give this so much time. Joel, do you remember who he picks or what he does? No. Who does okay, he end good. up picking? Are are you able to spoil it? I think I can say it's it's uh, Billy Gunn as Rockabilly. Oh wow! So the funny thing about that is, so imagine this: like Billy Gunn right now is coming off of being one of the smoking guns. He's yes. going to become Rockabilly, and then by the time before this podcast even ends, so November '97, he's teaming with Road Dog. So like that yeah. that gimmick is already going to be dead in the water because he's going to completely change it again before the end of the year. They give Honky Talk Man all this time to do all this stuff on this show. It's like, cool, great, love it. So glad he's here. Uh, so yeah. I thought it was talking before I realized it was Honky Talk Man. I thought it was Jim Cornette for some reason. Interesting. I, I mean, you, the, the, a little the, bit twang. The, the cadence similar. And I was like, oh, it's Jim Cornette. It's, and then like, oh, wait. And then I was like sitting there. And then they showed him like, oh, wait, no, that's Honky Talk Man. Oops, my bad. But yeah, the he's a little bit couple more, minutes, I... I I don't know if I missed seeing him right off the bat, but I felt it was Jim Cornette, but I was yeah. wrong. And then I couldn't remember in my history. I was like, wait, was I don't think Cornette was with WWE. No, he's, do, he's doing show. He's doing commentary for shows. Uh, I think just the other week uh, he got to power. He got tombstone by Undertaker on Superstars. Oh, okay. So, he, so, so he's, he's around. He's around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah you're, you're not far off. I think Hockey Tongue Man speaks, I would say, half as, half the speed that Jim Cornette does. He can't, he can't get rolling quite as well as uh, Cornette did. Uh, so, yeah, this tag match comes from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Triple H tried to steal Marlena from gold. This is a time, of course, where women, you could just literally steal a manager uh, who's a person. Uh, and so he, like, he had her. He was carrying her backstage. Then Mark Mero came out, and they threw Marlena to Mark Mero. And then Goldust came and hit Triple H into Mark Mero, knocking down Marlena. It's hard to say. Hard. They had a hard time shooting it, to be honest with you. They like cut. They they didn't even show Marlena getting thrown. So just one point, Triple H has her. They cut to Goldust. They cut back. Mark Mero has her. We're like, this is <laughs> this is weird. Are we getting into continuity errors here? It's hard to say. Uh, and so yeah, um, it's funny because that show ended 
with Marlena like on the ground having hit concrete and the cameras being like, is she going to be okay? And then Vince McMahon here is like, yeah, she's fine. <laughs> okay, cool. That's the drama that we're, I guess I probably shouldn't be too worried about any of these guys at any point. Cause you can just kind of come out and be like, all right, they're good. Two thumbs up. Let's yep. move on. <laughs> oh man. It's funny. Okay. So want to shoot anything or tell the story that made sense. So we'll just say, yep, she's good. Yeah, we could have shown, we could have done a whole promo backstage where she's got like a big, like a classic thing of ice on her head and Goldust being like, because we're trying to Goldust a badass here. You know, th- th- that's the thing right now is that they call them bizarre and they still do, but also we had the whole thing a few weeks ago where Jerry Lawler on air, on mic, goes up to Goldust and he's like, aren't you queer? And Goldust is like, no. And he turns face because he's not gay because it's 1997. That's what you did back then. <laughs> Joel's covering his face. Uh, <laughs> wrestling's the worst and the best. Uh, that's so, so true. It is very, very true. Uh, I noticed a sign in the crowd, which I love. And it's, uh, the sign in the crowd says, NWO, not worth observing. It's spelling out number. And then underneath it says, Hey Terry, one eight hundred get hair, which is also a Hulk Hogan diss. Oh he's, yeah, using yeah, yeah. Hulk Hogan's actual name yeah, and saying. Yeah. Anyway, so that's I I do love the uh, I love seeing the old tribalism back in the day, a time where wrestling is pretty tribal now. I would argue, you know, with AEW, WWE, and everything like that, uh, to see kind of the especially with WWE fans, where it's like, you know, the product is not great. NWO is pretty light. It's like, people like the NWO, so to be like, the NWO is stupid. It's like, I feel like history does not bear that out. Everybody now is just like, oh, NWO was cool. It was cool. I don't know. I'm trying to think of where the NWO storyline was at this point. It's still pretty fresh, right? So like, yeah. we're it's it's January 97, so they're going to do, I think they're going to do the first sold out, right? They're going to do the first pay-per-view, uh, which is a real big, a big swing, not a great hit, but, uh, I mean, 97, even though it's an up year for WWF, uh, you know, it's also a year where WCW is great. Like, WCW does a bunch of pay-per-views throughout the year that's way better than the buy rate for WrestleMania 13. Like, WrestleMania 13 isn't even the biggest pay-per-view of the year for, for WWF, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Survivor Series ends up doing more. Uh, and that's on the back of the NWO. So I would say the NWO is still pretty hot at this point. It's not – there's no real um, – I don't think it's kind of dying. Like, there's no – you know, because – we still there's no wolf pack yet. Uh, there's the the Sting uh, Starcade thing hasn't happened yet, so there's still the whole thing of like Sting is showing up and or or, or rather you're waiting for Sting to show up on Nitro and beat a bunch of guys with baseball bats. So it's like so Sting is kind of showing up in the rafters right now. Like yeah. so you're seeing him. Oh yeah, that was that was a cool time. Right? Yeah, yeah. You just you yeah. tune into Nitro and be like he, he might come down with a bat and beat some yeah. guys up. This is sick. And Nitro's beating Raw at this point, right? Handle it. Yes, this, this is, is the time where they are beating them, beating big them. time. And, and it's you, like when you were watching this time. Yeah. Were you in a in a camp? I was like, it was tough. Some youngest brother, uh, and it's like I don't know if we were watching Raw live or what. It's like I almost had like more of a, um, was it we had more? I don't know if it was more of a tape thing or it was just kind of more of wrestling ephemera was just around. Because I remember we, we would get um, like Coliseum videotapes. And I remember watching like SummerSlam '94, but a couple of years later. But it's also like I knew what was going on with WWF stuff. And I remember watching like off the record interviews, like Landsberg talking to like Bret Hart and people like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing is, you know, one of the guys that I've had on the on the, the podcast before when we were doing SmackDown 6, my buddy Brian, I remember watching 
or or like talking about uh, wrestling video games with him 96 97 around there and he was a big WCW guy at the time and I don't know that I was as much I think it was I think it was I mean, honestly a big part of it was Bret Hart right is that it was like well our guys there and it's also the film familiarity too where it's like well if I when I watch wrestling at any point in the last like my whole life it was pretty much never WCW but it was still like I I st- it wasn't something that was really well formed for me which is it's just interesting but yeah, and then when I got back into it in a bigger way, WCW just wasn't around. So mm-hmm. and uh, there weren't there wasn't uh, that's the thing I think about now. It's like there's a WWE network, this Peacock. Like it's crazy. Like I would have wasted my whole like adolescence watching that stuff. I mean, I did anyway. But like if I had access to the pure level that everybody else does, oh my gosh, I would be my wrestling geekdom would be uh, immeasurably higher. It'd be it'd be insane. Anyway, I, I'm glad I, I, I can, I'm glad I can't even think about how how much that would <laughs> crater my personal <laughs> life. But uh, we, we hear from a commentary here that uh, later on we have our main event, uh, Undertaker versus Crush. And it's also going to be Rocky Maivia against British Bulldog. So uh, there's some stars there and some lesser people there. And so, yeah, this match is mostly just uh, it's Triple H trying to stay away from Goldust. And it is Jerry Lawler doing like his Memphis heel stuff, the kind of stuff that where he is doing things. And he's playing to the back of the house with his big, broad reactions to things. And. Then we hear Vince McMahon is on commentary. He tells us something very peculiar. He says, next week on Raw, the winner of the Royal Rumble will face the loser of the WWF title match at Royal Rumble. So it's saying the guy who wins on Sunday night in the Rumble will face the guy who loses in the title match. And it's like, okay, I don't know why that would happen. And the stranger thing is, it does not happen. <laughs> they mentioned that, it a number of classic, times. classic WWF booking. Let's uh, tease a match until it's going to happen and then just not mention it again ever. I mean, look, the person who, quote unquote, canonically wins Royal Rumble 1997, which we'll talk about then, the question problems I have with what happened there uh, as a fan, more or less so in storyline way. Uh, that person wrestles, but the neither Psycho Sid nor Shawn Michaels wrestles that night, as far as I can tell. So I don't know what it's just he brings it up multiple times and then he does not do it. And it's like, OK, what a choice. I wonder if the excitement of the pay you just you just forgot about it or just was like, oh, I forget. I don't want to do that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Lawler goes to t- uh, tag in Triple H at one point. He's getting beaten on by Goldust, but Triple H is kind of facing away for somebody in the crowd. I think he's just supposed to be Triple H being oblivious or something. Uh, and uh, we take a commercial break. We come back. Mark Miro hits a head scissors on Triple H, and uh, that allows Goldust to tag in, and he runs wild on Triple H. And then uh, we kind of a weird finish here where uh, Triple H gets tangled up in the ropes, which you've probably seen before, where uh, the middle rope and the top rope get kind of like mixed up. And so he's like stuck between them. And uh, Goldust starts choking and attacking Triple H, which makes sense. He's 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 really been getting on him personally. And he won't let the referee or Mark Marrow, his tag team partner, stop him. And uh, he gets disqualified for it, which I don't think I've ever seen that specific instance. I mean, I guess. I don't even, it's actually pretty rare even to disqualify somebody for not stopping to do something. Because it's not like he's doing something outwardly illegal. He's just Triple H is in the ropes. Right? Like, I don't know. That's It's rare. Yeah, I, I... When I saw that finish, I was like, I couldn't recall another finish. And it's it's funny. Like, I always think they need to do more finishes based on the rules that they have in place. Totally. Right? So it's like when the ref's counting for an illegal maneuver or to stop a certain hold or something. 
and then they don't stop, yeah, it should be a disqualification. And it's surprising me that there's less finishes like that. Yeah, they should be they should be constantly doing there should be constantly, but like there should be times where they go, okay, to reinforce that what this is, let's have people get disqualified that way or counted out that way, or and then that way when you're watching our match, hopefully we watch your main event, you're like, oh, this could this could end in a number of different ways. This could go all sorts of different ways, which is I guess yeah. It is how we think about it. If this isn't too much of an abstraction, we think about it that way with how wrestling matches can end, where like you can win by roll up, and the guy can afterwards be like kind of fine, or you can also win by completely crushing the guy and destroying him, and he's like you can't even scrape him off the mat afterwards. We're kind of used to things like that, but I think we do need to expand it, like you said. Well, and it's it's interesting because I this is a bit of a tangent, but one uh, finish I was there live for was uh, SummerSlam 2015. Or 2016. It was uh, Brock Lesnar versus The Undertaker. Oh, yeah? Right, and they did this wonky finish where uh, Brock Lesnar had The Undertaker in the Kimura lock. And Undertaker, unbeknownst to the ref and, and anybody there, tapped. But the ring person rang the ring bell. Right. The ref didn't call them, but the, and so it was this confusion. Brock Lesnar broke the hold as if he won. He didn't win. And then, and then, uh, Undertaker got him in a hold and won. And it was a, it was a really confusing finish for a lot of people. And I always just felt like all they had to do was maybe a couple weeks or a week before have a finish that way. Like, establish that a timekeeper can actually stop a match or like miss or or you have this timekeeper who sucks at his job and always like right so it, it right. built something in because everyone is so confused and everyone just left so deflated like yeah. we all left like what happened in that finish like nobody knew it was so bizarre everyone was just like confused we were all just like sitting there like, what, what just happened? Yeah. And it's like the, this main event of this huge paper. You have two of the best of all time going at it. Who had a, you know, and it just, it was just one of those things where you're like, oh man. And all it took was just like, okay, you want to do that finish. You want to, because I understood why they yeah. wanted to protect Brock in the loss, make it look a little screwy, but they didn't want it to look like the Undertaker screwed him over. Right. Like I get that, but uh, it just, all they had to do was establish that somehow. Yeah. And they didn't do it. So everyone was confused. So I think just sometimes wrestling in their finishes just needs to do that more. And I, I find sometimes finishes like this helps that because you know that there's different finishes to a match than a, a count out or, or sorry, a pin or submission. Right. Yeah. I, first off, I, lo- I got to say, I love that you were in the house for like prop. That's probably one of the like of the last like 10 or 15 years, like one of the finishes that's most kind of like, huh? Or like, frustrating or like kind of deflating in a way like the only other thing i get the only one other one i can like think of i'll i'm sure there's a number of them and I apologize for people who have been really plugged into the product the last 10 years more so than me but i think about like th- that hell in a cell match between bray wyatt uh when he's the fiend Seth Rollins, and then with like a dq or ref stoppage and you're like that's not i remember <laughs> I didn't, did you ever see the clip of x-pac reacting to that live oh no Oh my gosh! This is because they would do they do the pay-per-view watch-alongs yeah and yeah. it went it went semi-viral that night because uh, it ends, and then X-Pac is like, he's like, how does a Hell in a Cell match on with disqualification? Like, that's not possible. Like, he was just like, he was like, 
it was very satisfying to see somebody who's in the who is that plugged into the know and honestly connected where he's like he's friends with triple h 100 percent, and he's on the show saying to somebody on the network being like what the hell was that <laughs> like oh man yeah i mean it is it's i told i totally agree with you for the main part of like let's have more finishes uh, it is funny that, to do it in a way that's kind of like it's almost like an incompetence thing where it's like the referee and the officials can't fi- get things figured out. And you're like, yeah, we don't. That's not how we want things to go. Like, there's all yeah. there's, and there's and there's almost an unlimited number of ways you can protect people. Uh, and then on that night, it's just like, well, that's not that's not going to come across to people in a satisfying way. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. I, I agree with you. This finish itself wasn't. I think they could have done a little better where Triple H does something that makes gold dust mad so he uses this opportunity to really get at him and just gets overzealous and then gets right. the disqualification well, well it's it's a matter of, you know what like um triple h is the incredible champion maybe he had the ic title in the ring and gold sees it and he's like i'm pissed off at triple h i'm gonna hit him with the title and the referee's like i just qualify he's like i don't care i'm gonna hit him yeah and it just doesn't anyway that would totally work but even here like and they're I, I, the big thing for them is they're trying to get that character where they're like look <laughs> He was a weird guy before. Now he's a badass. So we even have a time here where Mark Marrow's like, "Hey man, back off!" And he starts punching Mark Marrow right after the match. It's like that's that guy, that's a face on face action here. These are good. These are you're not supposed to be doing this to each other. Um, so yeah, it was surprising. And then we go to San Antonio. We uh, this is the weird thing I will say though is that this this is where this part of Raw is live. Actually, I say this is taped. This is a mixed show because that match was 100% taped you know, two weeks earlier or wherever in Albany, New York. This is happening live in San Antonio, and I can tell you why a little bit later on, because if something happens that is impossible otherwise. Uh, yeah, we, we have uh, Shawn Michaels in San Antonio, and um, we get this promo before we talk to Shawn, and it's Psycho Sid, and he's on the floor of the Alamo Dome where Royal Rumble's about to be later in the week. And Psycho Sid does what every WWF champion should do. He quotes Friedrich Nietzsche. <laughs> I was like, uh, what? <laughs> He's about fighting. I, I, I laughed like out loud when Psycho said, like, to quote the famous German philosopher. I was like, what? I just, people- I just started laughing because just what we know of like Psycho Sid as a character and I think as a, a real life person wasn't the smartest cookie. Right. I mean, and just, apparently it just started with quoting philosophy. I just laughed because I was like, this is so it, you could tell it was just WWE producers being like, OK, everyone kind of thinks this guy's a big dummy. Let's have him say something kind of smart sounding and that'll convince him that he's not a big dummy. I and was impressed I, I any, that anybody involved was like, let's have him do some Nietzsche. It's like what? Like. I'm imagining Sid being like, oh, I just read on my way here. I was reading The Antichrist by Friedrich Nietzsche. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. He's like, I was reading Albert Camus. And I'm just like, I just want to, I want him to go further. I want to go deeper. These sort of things. Be like, talk about, you know, did you read The Prophet Khalil Gibran? Like, let's get into some, some more kind of like these, these big books you do. Like, yeah, he's gonna start quoting like a tale of two cities and stuff. Like, oh wow, he's pretty well. Does he have a lit degree or what is this? He's got he's he's pretty educated here. Uh, yeah, he takes his opportunity. He's talking about fighting monsters. That's who Nietzsche was talking about. And uh, Sid says, "Look, Sean, I urge you to think about all the people who are going to be there at Royal Rumble on the weekend. Think about your family. Think about quote all the Mexicans from Mexico. Sure, I mean, you can think about them. I suppose this is the the uh, the idea." 
And we take a commercial break from Psycho Sid being uh, just a galaxy brain genius. So we come back to Shawn Michaels. Uh, but first we see some actual clips. We see Jose Lothario got bumped by the TV camera uh, by Sid at Survivor Series, which is how he lost the title and led to this whole match. And then Sid attacking Jose Lothario's sin, son rather last week on Raw. Going uh, to this yeah. Sid promo, I did like it. After I, I laughed at the Nietzsche line, I enjoyed him being alone at the Alamo Dome where they're right? match and like pointing to the sections like that's where your family's going to be when I tear you to pieces or or however he said i i enjoyed it i was like okay that, that's captivating me it was just funny because i remember i laughed like audibly at the beginning i'm like okay come on and then at the end i was like oh no that was nice i like that sitting yeah. in the, the empty and this was the first of two years they did in the alamo dome right they did 97 no, 98 they just did, they just did the one because the uh, 98 rumble was in um oh, something bought i think it's in philly okay they're just in an arena for that one because famously the uh we'll talk about it next week but like the royal rumble in the alamo dome is one of the i think what bret hart said the most papered pay-per-view of all time essentially being like they gave away so many tickets to that show they just didn't make enough money they're like they're, they're in a downswing as a company and yet they're being like we're gonna put seventy thousand people in a, in a stadium it's like look also you know and it's also funny because it's like you took the title off of Shawn michaels essentially he's just saying he's not drawing great as a champion and then you go to his home state, and you're like, we're going to fill a total arena, a stadium with him, with fans. And it's like, are you guys not, like, did you learn the lesson you were learning. You said he's not he's not a moneymaker, and you're like, but he's a moneymaker. <laughs> guys, please, you have to figure it out. Uh, so, yeah, no, they they, uh, they, kind of, they get away from state. They don't even do WrestleMania 13 in a stadium, right? They're in an arena for WrestleMania 13, which is what's so crazy about that. Uh, and then again for 14. You know you know what? Okay, Roman Money might be in Boston. I'm going to get this totally wrong. But I know that WrestleMania 14 is in Boston. One of those things. Anyway, that's in Boston. Royal Rumble 98 somewhere else. Anyway, that's another podcast. We'll talk about that. Uh, I will say also, when they show the clip of Sid powerbombing Jose Lothario's son, I'm realizing he's wearing the WWF championship while he's doing it. I just like somebody wearing their belt and doing their wrestling moves while they still have the belt on. Yeah. Yeah, it's you cool. don't see that very often now that you point that out. Yeah. Well, now they're all Velcro. So they just kind of, they just pop off. But back then, it's like, you know, they're, they're snaps. Snapped on, yeah. They're gonna go back to snaps, I think. You know, by the time this is this podcast is coming out in 2023, by the way, Joel. So by the time this happens, I mean we might even have, you know, I mean early 2023, but still, people might we'll be back to snap belts for all we know. They might totally go back uh, to Royal Rumble at the Alamo Dome. That's true. I yeah, I was when I when I found out they were going back there, I was like, I could not believe it. I was like, this is so exciting. They'll actually, I mean, they'll actually probably sell out well there. They won't sell out necessarily, but they will do infinitely better than they did in '97. Yes, I would yeah. think so. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, um, we see uh, Shawn Michaels. Uh, he talks about how he's not going to have any problems fighting rough. And there's just like, he's just surrounded by like a dozen excited Latino people. And uh, he says, you know, the Alamo Dome will be filled with people, including everyone that I went to uh, high school with. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'm curious about, uh, I, I would love to know who went to high school with Shawn Michaels and if they're actually going to be at the Alamo Dome or not. Uh, and so when we finish up with Shawn, who we will see later. We hear Bret Hart's music hits, and uh, out limps Bret Hart. He's wearing a collared shirt and a vest, which is a unique look for him. I'm used to the, you know, leather jacket. Not exactly used. This is almost his lonesome dove look, you know, when he was doing the the Western show. <laughs> and uh, we see footage of Steve Austin attacking Bret Hart again as he sits down to do some commentary for the next match. And the next match is British Bulldog against Rocky Maivia. 
And uh, Brett, he starts off pretty hot here. He says about uh, Rocky Maivia, he says he has more promise than just about anyone he's seen come into the WWF. And you're like, well, then he didn't wrong. <laughs> called it. He's buying early. St- if he was oh, buying early stock then, I mean, but he'd be rich just from that. Just from yeah. seeing the potential. Um, it's also crazy to think about. Like Rocky Maivia debuted in November 1996. Yeah. And the Rock stopped being a full-time wrestler for WWF, WWE. Like, how many years is that later? Six years later? That's it. Like, by, by Survivor Series 2002, he's not, like, he comes back for a couple of matches, and he shows up for a couple of Raws, but as a full-time performer, it's just that period of time, he's not around anymore. Yeah, it's pretty unreal. Like, when you think of Rock and Stone Cold, Rock especially, for even from when he debuted to when he began, eventually be, uh, began his run on top. Like, it's so short. Like Steve Austin had been around for over a decade, but at the time he he rode the Stone Cold 316 to the moon. But his time on top in that character is very short. Well, yeah, and, it's 98 to 2001 was the, like the first time he won a world title was 1998. The last time he had a world title was 2001. Three years. And and Steve Austin is this huge figure, but it's only three years. It's crazy. It's less than a thousand days. Or more than yeah, it, it, like, it's, it's nuts when you when you think of it and they're always those two are always when people do their mount rushmore it's like those two are always up there and it is really interesting when you think of say how long cena was on top she yeah right top for over a decade like it's crazy like on top like not up and down the mountain sometimes main event he was always the main draw always it it it, it's really nuts when you think about like how long some people are on top and you know i even think of roman reigns right now and kind of how long his run has been when you compare it to the rock and steve austin so it's it's really interesting when you look back and like man they really weren't on top that long yeah it does lend credence to the way of thinking about the attitude era that it was like they packed like five or ten years and three years instead because it's like you know, we're, you know, we used to have like these long champions like uh, Superstar Billy Graham or Bob Backlund. You'd have guys who were champions for like eight years uh, or, you know, guys who are on top and doing stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, they have more in common with like a John Cena. That's kind of the way it usually used to work in wrestling. And then you just have these kind of blips where they are so much briefer. Um, if only be, but the, the, they're also like they're on, they're, st- they're on two shows a week and they're in pay-per-views every every month instead of every like four a year. Uh, so that's what's kind of that's the other thing that's crazy is that if you compare like Rock's pay-per-view matches to like Hogan's, I, Hogan's a little different because he ended up doing the WCW thing. But even then, he wasn't on every pay-per-view because they had to pay him insane amounts of money. But that was the fun thing right. about that. But we'll talk about Hulk Hogan on a WCW pay-per-view later on in this episode. Yes, we will. Uh, we see some footage from last weekend's Shotgun Saturday Night to kind of give some try to explain a little bit what's going on just in general on this program. Uh, and so we have a very convoluted series of events taking place. And I'm hoping that I can describe it in such a way that listeners, if you haven't seen it, will make sense to you. And as viewers, that Joel and I will be able to understand it again, because it's a lot going on here. So, okay, Shotgun Saturday night this past week, and this is taking place in a nightclub where uh, they were just doing shows at literally at bars to kind of have, again, this attitude era kind of earliness going on. And Mark Marrow and Sable were having an argument that ended with Marrow leaving and Sable pretty much in tears. And then the Honky Tonk Man came out to hit on Sable. And then Rocky Maivia came out to protect Sable from Honky Tonk Man. And then Mark Merrow came out to give Rocky grief for coming on to Sable, which isn't really what happened. 
And then Rocky and Mark Miro came to blows. Is that correct, Joel? Did I get that right? That that sounds about correct of what happened. Right. There's a couple more people involved in that scenario than you would even imagine. You're like, well, why is that like <laughs> what we were just we're attacking people on like a game of telephone or something here? It's like we don't need this in the circuit of this this feud. Uh, but yeah, it's also also weird because Mark Mero, that's a super heelish thing that Mark Mero did. He leaves his wife in tears or his girlfriend, I don't know what it was at the time. I guess they're married. Uh, and then he comes out later to protect her honor, even though nothing bad happened. And then we just saw him like a minute ago. He's tagging with Goldust. They're fine. What happened there? Yeah, I don't think uh, WWF really knew what to do with the Mark Mero character at this time. So I think that's probably why you're seeing all of that. And they all all Vince I think ever saw was Sable in that anyways. Mark well, Mero I mean, was probably just an afterthought. I get it. I mean Mark Mero was also but he just he could do shooting Sarah Presley the wild thing. It was cool. Uh I it's also weird. It's just treating like Shaco Saturday Night like it's an alternate universe thing where it's like, well, that's happening over there. But it's also like, well, but you're also showing it to us. So like people are turning heel over there that aren't anyway. It's a whole it's a whole kerfuffle. But uh yeah, anyway, so Rocky is around people and doing all sorts of things. Uh and see, Bret Hart, again, he talks up uh, Rocky, my V, he talks about his father and his grandfather, and uh, Bret could do that really well because he's such a serious wrestler. And so uh, that's something he just sounds good at and believable at. And um, Bulldog, at one point during this match, he goes to leave the match. He seems, like, pretty distracted. And Vince suggests that he's concerned about Steve Austin coming back out, so they've had some issues recently. Because, you know, Steve attacked Bret, and Bulldog kind of saved him, and... Uh, but then uh, it's not Steve Austin who comes out. Instead, we have Owen Hart, Bulldog's tag team champion, uh, his partner. And uh, Brett says, <laughs> I thought this was funny. He's, you know, this is January 97. So he says, yeah, I hope there's not any problems here. You know, we got along pretty well at home during Christmas break. So it was kind of a detente a little bit. It, sound, it sounded to me like they were kind of avoiding each other around maybe the uh, the buffet, the, the, the turkey as it's laid out. Give each other a wide berth. Yeah, it was, it was, they didn't, they didn't, um play Monopoly together during Christmas break. They were That's just right. able to be in the same house without punching each other in the face. Yeah. You could, if you took a picture of it, maybe they're both, maybe they both have Christmas crackers, but they're quite, there's probably a few people separating them out. Yes. They were yeah. on either side of the Hart family picture for Christmas, 1996. Could you imagine being invited to the Hart family Christmas party? Like the Hart, just having Christmas, with the Hart family where there's like, how, how many turkeys do you need? Cause you have like a, <laughs> You have like dozens of people and they're wrestlers. Like this, this is a multi-turkey household. I mean, this this is like they're starting turkeys December twenty-second here. And like if you're you're lucky if you get one that came out in the last forty-eight hours before that. Anyway, just I gotta name that. That's what I would do if I ever had Bret Hart on the podcast. I'd just be like, what were your holidays like, man? Like what's going on? Are there like are you doing it? And there's also just like is Lance Storm just next to you being like this little like you know do we seventeen-year-old kid like training and you're kind of like hey have your extra you know green beans, buddy. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, Owen Hart is there. And so Owen walks around the ring in front of the announce table and he plants his slammy, you know, his, his award that he wins his slammy award winner two times as far as I, as far as I know, he plants it in front of Bret Hart, seemingly suggesting he doesn't trust Bret. Kind of the vibe I'm getting here. He's kind of like acting like he needs to be here, uh, to get Bret out of the way. And, uh, he stands directly in Bret's view of the ring. And I'm like, huh, this is a bit unusual that that's happening with Bret Hart has all these other feuds going on. And uh, we take your commercial break and Owen Hart is still staying in front of Brett. Like Joel, what did you think Owen was doing here? What, what is his stated storyline purpose? Cause it's not totally clear. I mean, it's not buddies with him, but like what's happening here. Yeah. I have no idea. Like it, it, is there, 
does he have a distrust that Brett is going to interfere with Bulldog, but it doesn't make any sense because even as Brett says to him, he's like, he's my brother-in-law too, right? I care right. about him, <laughs> right? And it was just, it was so bizarre. It made no sense to me. Like, and they, in I don't, at this point in, in, in the storyline, they probably hadn't feuded in years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, this bad blood, the general bad blood that's there. Also, Brett's hurts. He's he he hobbled out here. He got pilmanized yeah. on the weekend. It made no sense to me. Yeah, because even because he, I guess you'll get into what happens because he does this. But it, it was bizarre. I did not understand the motivation at all. So yes, so Brett is trying to do commentary. Owen Hart is planted right in front of him. Uh, and so that's just kind of happening in the background here. Uh, in the ring, Rocky Maivia gets a sunset flip on Bulldog, uh, but he only gets a count of two. And then Bulldog goes for a delayed vertical suplex. And I like Vince says, as he's got him in the air, uh, Vince says, oh, he's going to let him think about it. Which is a good good thing to say when someone's in, in a uh, delayed vertical suplex. Always satisfying to see that. And we see Rocky making a comeback. He's punching and clotheslining and shaking. And he gets a big clothesline to the floor on Bulldog, and he goes out the ring with him. But then Bulldog gets up first. And he sends Rocky to the steel barricade. And then suddenly Stone Cold Steve Austin appears. And I should have like a soundboard that I just can press a button and that happens. Because that's what pretty much Steve Austin's going to do that for the next like six months. Every day he's going to show up on Raw. Uh, and so he just appears. He chop blocks Bulldog, takes him out by the knee. And he hits him with a Stone Cold Stunner on the floor. Now this is, how did, Joel, did you enjoy the Stone Cold Stunner when it's not like a kick and then hitting him? He's like, he's like, he like beats him up and then he's like awkwardly just grab his head and then do it. Yeah, man, that was so anticlimactic Weird. when you compare it to the the stunner we know, like that oh, kick God. and the big boom down on the shoulder, the good sell. It was at first because at first when I saw it kind of hit him with the move, I was like, did he did he just give him a stunner? And then right. they're like, oh, yeah, that was a stunner. And it's so bizarre, like seeing it in a way so different than we come we have come accustomed to seeing the stunner right even a year or two later it's huge reaction to that comparatively yeah yeah (laughs) no exactly yeah in 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 99 he does a stunner like that it the the whole arena would have popped huge but that was that was interesting to see it just kind of uh, yeah it, it it seemed to kind of come out of nowhere and you're like oh oh that was a stunner all right okay it's, it's it's not that different from the chop block he just did. He just hits the center as well. And and so Bret Hart is watching this. He stands up from the announce table, and Owen Hart's, like, getting defensive. He's like, oh, he's, now he's standing up. Owen Hart, again, he's facing Bret, so he's not seeing what happened outside the ring. And so Bret's, like, getting up, and he's kind of, like, he's, like, hobbling towards him. Owen's kind of in his face, and he's kind of like, Bret's like, like, look. Like, no, I'm like, just look at this. What's happening here? And uh, Owen doesn't really realize what happens a little bit later. And so he turns around and goes after Austin with Brett hobbling behind him. And we see Austin, he's walking toward the entrance with but the Hart brothers who are kind of like approaching him. And he's trying to goad them on. He's like, hey, come here, come here, come after me. Yeah, come after you, little jerks. Uh, and he leaves. And then we go back to the ring. And uh, and to be clear, the referee didn't see this, which is why this match is continuing. Because Rocky Maivia, even though he was thrown into the steps right before Steve Austin came by and attacked Bulldog, he crawls back into the ring he beats the counts. The referee counts out British Bulldogs, so Rocky Maivia wins this match. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's mostly, it's an angle wrapped up in a match, where it's like, it's just all the rigmarole to have Austin out there and to have there being kind of like this weird feud, will they, won't they, with a Hart family, where it's like, well, they're all kind of united against Steve Austin, but what will that become? 
Mm -hmm. I really uh, like seeing the seeds of Bret Hart's heel turn. You can really feel it because how did he say it? He talked about people breaking the rules. Right, yeah. it just kind of how it's like I'm. I've never broken the rules, but if that's allowed now in WWF, maybe I need to start breaking the rules. Right, just little, little comments right. like that. And also, what I love, what I love, and why Bret Hart's is one of my favorite heel turns. Even though as a Canadian, I, I, I never booed Bret Hart. Um, it was just this legitimacy, right? Like he should be legitimately frustrated. He should be mad. Right. And those to oh, me yeah. are always the best heel turns where you can see a reasoning as to why it happened. Right. Like yeah. I, a lot of the times I don't like, like it, it, it depends. Like you want both. Like sometimes the heel turn out of the blue works, but sometimes it, it has to make sense. And also I know some people don't like laying the breadcrumbs because then you see it coming. Sure. There's a, there's a bit of a, a mix, but I like it when it makes sense. Like there's one in this past year in wrestling that to me made no sense. And that was the heel turn for edge. Oh yeah. Before. He turned heel because he wanted to be heel for a while. Yeah. And then that was, you know, and then that's what it felt like. It didn't feel like it was earned. Like there was no reason. Like, and when he, like when he came out and he's like, it's you fans have been holding me back. It's like, what are you talking about? everybody's loved you since the day you've returned. Like there's right. no right. And it just didn't make sense. It was fine. And the edge is great as a heel. And so his character was fine as a heel, but it just, it missed that like connection. Cause it didn't quite make sense. All they had to do was a couple storyline pieces where he loses a couple matches because of things. So he becomes frustrated and disillusioned. And you could see that seed being planned with Bret Hart, right? here and just little things where he's getting attacked and obviously what we'll see what happens at the Royal rumble and right. It, it's just uh, this perfect, you know, slow build. And it makes sense when he, when he eventually turns heel, you're like, yeah, you get it, but you're still mad. Right. Yeah. Well, exactly. And I think the thing that I think people do as wrestlers, which is getting to the, getting to what you're talking about is I think that they will do the ground. They will do the mental groundwork for the one promo where they say, look, here's why I turned heel. And it makes sense to them. And so the whole, because I think, I think people think like, all I have to do is have it be internally consistent for my character. And so that's why Edge can say, oh, it makes sense for Edge. Edge is mad at the fans. Okay. But we have to actually, like to believe it, we actually have to kind of believe why you would do that, right? And Bret Hart can point to, because he's already talked about it before. He said, hey, WrestleMania 12, there's an overtime period for the title. I didn't deserve to lose that. No, we talked about that before. No one said there must be a finish before that. I'm mad about that. And we're seeing, you know, the next little while here, like Brett uh, actually at uh, It's Time, the pay-per-view before the Royal Rumble. Uh, he ends up, Brett Shawn Michaels interferes in his match. Okay. He, he could point to that and say, I got screwed over there. And it's not doing the heel thing, which is I got screwed over and he loses clean. And we're, we're just like, well, you're delusional. Because I think if a heel is delusional, it's not as satisfying because not, it just it's like okay so he just doesn't he doesn't get it what's happening here uh so i think like this bret hart turn is all the better because we can all see that it's we can it all makes sense internally it makes sense internally for him he also does the smart thing which has been all, pretty much never done before which is he only turns heel in one part of the world the us everywhere else he's a huge face 
Mm-hmm. And he can say, oh, I was screwed over there. And they're like, yeah, sure you were screwed. Yeah, of course. Those are the damn Americans. Uh, and so that's what it ends up leaning into. But it's totally it's totally happening here. It's interesting. That that's a, that breadcrumb thing is funny, right? The whole thing. I'm like, oh, we like one guy does one thing. We're like, oh, there he goes. There you go. Chompa is turning heel. We can all tell. We all know it. Uh, and you're like, okay, it's like, you know, you do one breadcrumb and that might as well be the heel turn because uh, for how people treat it. So it's like, yeah, it's, so it is it is a really tough balance to walk as a as a booker and someone writing a wrestling TV show because you want breadcrumbs and you want storylines to make sense, but you don't want it to be predictable. Right. right. And you don't want it, and you also don't want it to be so unpredictable that it's it's the Vince Russo That's thing. Where it's, sense. Yes. Where it's a swerve for the sake of a swerve. Yeah, swear, swear, swear. You're like, okay, what the thing? Yeah, and sometimes it works. Like when you see something coming, it works. So remember, like the uh, um, the the breakup between Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho a few years ago in Las Vegas. Right, right. And I remember listening to Jericho on his podcast talk about how he had to fight so hard for that finish. It's like because they just wanted KO to to blindside him. He's like, no. We have to have everyone know that it's going to happen before Jericho, right? right? So when he pulls out the list and it's not the list of Jericho, it's the list of KO. And everyone everyone sees that it's the list of KO except Jericho. And everyone's like, oh, no, what's happening? And then Jericho says the line, hey, why is my name on this? And everyone's like, no. And then, right. damn, it happens. It's such a better moment. <laughs> it's such a better moment, right? And it's like, yes, you saw it coming. Like that whole segment, I'm waiting for Kevin Owens to turn on him, right? Because, like, Jericho's overly pouring his undying love for this man. And you're right. just waiting for him. To... But it, it it works so well because it was just, you know, it, it you know, and I think of a, a heel turn that was unexpected but made sense was Seth Rollins on The Shield, right? Right. Like, that one's so unexpected, but it made sense. Yeah, it totally fits. Uh, yeah, and so next up here we got uh, the the Nation of Domination is in the back, and Farouk essentially just says the Nation is united. Crush says I'm going to dominate the Undertaker, and then we go to the main event, which is the Undertaker versus Crush. And I always think about how it's like this is the main event of Raw, and on Nitro it's way more interesting than this. Now thankfully here at least you have the Undertaker, but like comparatively it's not exactly competitive. What's the main event of Nitro on this night? Oh gosh, I should look it up. So this is this is January thirteenth, nineteen ninety-seven, and so which I think so I think I think they're building to um the I think it's I think this is sold out. Let's see here. So we pull it up. We pull up the the results here. Uh oh my gosh, there's like a thousand more matches. Okay, well I mean this is a two-hour show versus the the uh, the one-hour show, which is what's kind of tough about it. Um, yeah the. The main event was the Giant against Hulk Hogan. So this is when this is Giant, uh, you know, having previously won the World Championship, going as a Hulk Hogan match. This is live. Um, but yeah, it says there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve matches that night. Oh wow! Now, how many of them were uh, three minutes and under? Were one, two, three, three-ish, four-ish, five-ish, six-ish? You know, it's. <laughs> We're gonna half of them are like not exactly a minute, but still like a lot of people to put in there. Well, I uh, meant that giant Hulk Hogan match wasn't much more than three minutes. I can't imagine it was all that big, but I mean, it's just, that's still at least like what you have. Uh, well, it's still at that time for just sheer interest. I think that's a huge draw. 
Yeah. Oh, for sure. I I have to think so. Uh, yeah. No. We're the managers. The sorry. The commentators rather are talking about about, about Undertaker. They say, oh, he's got he's facing Vader at the Royal Rumble, and uh, it's kind of a random match for these two. Like they barely really fought or been on TV in recent weeks. Uh, so it's just interesting to just be like, hey, they're fighting there. Okay, sure. We have blood feuds like Goldust versus Triple H. We also have just like, hey, two guys who we want to matter are in that. They also specify that like, and if they're okay to continue, they will also wrestle in the Royal Rumble. Okay, sounds good. And uh, we go uh, for this match. We actually go back to Shawn Michaels at the bar in San Antonio. And we get a full on continuity error here, Joel, because uh, this is an episode of Raw is taped. It's coming from Albany. But in the bar, we see Rocky Maivia. Uh, he walks to the crowd. And you hear Vince even said, oh, there's Rocky. And you're like, wait, okay. Rocky Maivia traveled 2,000 miles in less than two minutes. Like, maybe maybe he is Black Adam. I think that might be the conclusion, right? Oh, my <laughs> <Isn't> gosh. <laughs> but it's weird oh, to be like, to do the mix of live and taped and be kind of like, well, whatever, Rock's there. I guess it's live, so there's nothing else they can do. They just be like, well, great, Rock just walks through the crowd. It may be the worst possible moment. <laughs> it's not the beginning of the show. It's not the end of the Because at the beginning of the end of the show, you can be like, ah, oh, people will forget about it. But like two minutes after his match, like, that guy just won my count out like a moment ago. <laughs> I <laughs> wonder what Vince's thought was. Because I feel like obviously he noticed that when they were taping, but they were taping it. Couldn't they have done something? Well, that part was live. So when they went out live, oh, okay. all the Sean parts are live. I mean, I have to think so. Like now I want, if hey, any interviewer worth your salt, if you have Rock for his next promo, uh, you know, whether it's Black Adam 2 or some other thing he does this year, be like, hey, look, I want to talk to you about the January 13, 1997 episode of Raw. <laughs> I want to know if Vince was mad at you for popping up two seconds. Because even if you want to go through, like, they don't say, I don't think during the show, this is taped in Albany. So even if you want to pretend, but by not saying anything, that maybe he's in San Antonio in an arena there that isn't the Alamo Dome, uh, he still can't get to the bar in two minutes. Like, there's no, like, there's no, unless, there's no way for it to make any sense. Uh, but yeah, I just enjoy it. Con- you don't get a lot of continuity errors in wrestling. You get all sorts of weird storyline things where people say things, you're like, that's not what happened. But uh, <laughs> not like this. Uh, and so Crush comes out to face the Undertaker. He's got the rest of the Nation of Domination with him. And Undertaker just decides he's going to attack the Nation of Domination in the entrance before the match. Uh, you know, he doesn't want any un- unfair advantage. So he just he just beats them all up. The camera cuts to Farouk, and Farouk's like, you know, to borrow a phrase, Farouk, damn, is what he looks like he's saying there. He's like, oh, man, he just beat the crap out of everybody here. And so, yeah, Crush gets in the ring, and he gets dropped to the running DDT from Taker. And the match begins. And uh, Taker, at one point, he goes for his famed rope walk. But uh, Farouk, who's one of the only Nation of Domination guys who really kind of sticks around a ringside and makes his present felt, uh, he shakes the ropes. And Undertaker gets crotched on the ropes. I feel like the rope walk didn't get countered as much as it could have. Yes, I feel like it's a precarious move that counters everywhere. So easy to counter. Couldn't you just run? Like, every guy who's got his arm wrong, couldn't he also just run into the ropes? He's balanced he, on there. He would just pull Undertaker down. Just pull him down. It's it's yeah. That's hmm. I know the rope walk was always kind of cool, but it's also when you think about it for a second, you're like, there's it's 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 so precarious. And considering that you're the person doing the move to the person, and you're like elevated and higher up, and yeah, yeah, that move should have almost never worked. And now I want to see somebody try it. Just always try it and never succeed. And it's never like the, succeed. <laughs> like the regular. I, I would love that. I would love that if there was someone like trying to like 
a, a gimmick. This is my gimmick pitch that I'm thinking of right now. Someone who yep. wants to be the next Undertaker, but is like vocalizing that. Like right. it, their gimmick is they're saying they want to be the next Undertaker. Right. And they keep trying to do the rope walk. Like that's the spot is they do the rope walk and the person counters it in creative ways. That's great. See, this is great because that you do it for a couple months and then the next time you have like Ron Houston, Undertaker comes out, choke slams the guy and leaves, and it's like great. And, yeah. and it, it was all worth it. And it, yeah, it was, a, it was a two month gimmick, all you needed, right? Like it just it doesn't be this long standing thing. Just you get some guy. Do you think you'd be funny being the Undertaker? Uh, one of the big spots in your match. You're always gonna mess up the rope walk. Always, you'll never. Always. See it. It's gonna be a small guy too. It's gonna be somebody who yeah. like you know pretending to be the Undertaker. It's like well he'll never do it. You can't have a guy who's like yeah. almost as big. It needs to be somebody who's like five five eight. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea. There we go. You heard it here, folks. First, folks. I think it just it's a perfect move to do. Uh, we have a moment here where Crush, uh, he counters an Irish whip, and he just hits Undertaker with a pile driver. It's weird to think about the pile driver is just a move you just do. I mean, you can just do it. You're like, oh, okay. Just counter to an Irish whip. Yeah, and that happened here. And then there was a, uh, in the match we're going to talk about later, the nine-man war games match, there's a pile driver that's just like a background move. Yeah. What? What? They just give him a pile driver. In the last twenty years, in the last twenty years, if you did a pile driver to somebody, they die. It's like it's like the most deadly move of all time. And then here, it just like it's like I don't know. Also weird. Last week on Raw, Mankind hit Undertaker. Sorry, Mankind hit Owen Hart with a pile driver and pinned him. So I'm watching this right now, and I'm like, oh, even for people in the building, Crush hits a pile driver on Undertaker. That should at least be a two count, or or, or like you know, it should be a it should be near fall, but it wasn't really. Uh, then we have this wonderful visual. The camera cuts the entrance, and this I literally laughed out loud at this. We see that at the entrance, Vader is standing there, but he's barely stepped out of the letters of Raw. He's like kind of like they. I think literally, yeah. Vince says later on, Vader is peeking through the entrance. I just thought like Vader's like, oh, is Undertaker there? He's he's, he's peeking. He's like he's not just gonna stand there in the entrance, kind of like look at him. Uh, and just to be clear, the entrance of this time, as a reminder, is the letter. It's the word raw, essentially, big big R, big A, big W, and kind of in between there's the letters. And so Vader's kind of peeking out and looking at him there. Uh, he, he kind of looks like he looks like a dad if he, like, heard a noise outside at, like, 2 a.m. And he's asked to go to the front to be like, what was that? What was that? Like, is, is it raccoons? Is somebody in my yard? He's kind of peeking out. Wants to see. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, we hear that Shotgun Saturday Night is going to be coming from a bar called Denim and Diamonds, which sounds like I just want to say if your night ends at Denim and Diamonds, I there's so many things that have, could have gone wrong for you in San Antonio. I'm concerned there could be venereal <laughs> disease. Uh, just, just I just see I see only pain in Denim, Denim and Diamonds over the last few years. I can't imagine it being. I as soon as I heard that name, I was like I'm like instantly like inserting bars that I know about in my life and being like that's probably exactly what that bar is like. Yeah, I yeah. think that way too. Yeah. Oh, man. For here, I think the dome. Anyway, that's a Halifax-specific one. That's fine. Uh, yeah, the, the match, essentially, after Undertaker gets crushed on his rope walk, it's pretty much just all crush. And then crush goes for his deadly finisher, the heart punch, which is back when you would kind of, like, lift your arm up and punch you in the heart. And that was somehow worse than a pile driver. Shocking. Shocking. A move that sounds like it's straight out of 1983. Yes. Like, no, you don't want... Pr- out of 1983. Pretty damn around he hits you with a heart punch. You're done for the night. What? Uh, yeah, Undertaker blocks it. He hits him with a, a bottom ten choke slam, like one of the worst choke slams oh, I've ever yeah. seen. Like negative three stars for sure. It, Joel, yeah. if you and I were in the same place right now, and I was like, Joel, 
I want you to choke slam me. I think you and I could put together a better choke slam than these two gentlemen did. Oh, absolutely. I think yeah. that that'd be quite easy to do. Like it's always, I, I always wonder like what goes wrong in those spots. Like what? It's gonna be some sort of some dead weight or jumping issue, right? Where guys yeah. aren't ready or something, and then you're like, well, I can't really lift you up with one hand. Yeah. Well, and and that's the thing, like especially I guess for a choke slam maneuver, like you need the other person to jump up. You can't really. Like you can lift up a smaller guy. Like I'm sure if like uh if a smaller guy tried to deadweight Undertaker, he could just have his hand on his back, lift him up, and slam him down. Yeah, Rey Mysterio is just gonna Crush. get t- yeah for the ride. Rey Mysterio, no problem. But Crush, if he kind of doesn't give you that elevation you need, right? You're not gonna be able to. You can't just lift him up to your sh- uh, above your shoulders or even that high. So when oh, he gives yeah, no you nothing way. more, it looks like he kind of just falls over. Yeah, it's like, oof, like, it's just rough. And it's also rough because it's like, it's essentially the end of the match. Because as soon as Crush hits the mat, the Nation of Domination runs in. They attack the Undertaker. And uh, Vader comes in. He's coming to help out as well. I don't even know if there's a disqualification announced. It's just like, okay. Uh, and so the Taker's just getting completely destroyed. And the whole time I'm thinking like, okay, in recent weeks, Ahmed Johnson has gone against the Nation of Domination. When is he going to run out? And the answer is well after the Undertaker is completely destroyed because <laughs> Vader hits him with two Vader bombs with the Nation of Domination holding him down. And then finally Ahmed Johnston runs out. He's got a big wooden two by four. He hits one guy, but then Vader and the Nation of Domination easily handle him. And then Vince says they're dominating Ahmed Johnson as the Nation and Vader stand over Ahmed. And we just go off the air kind of abruptly, just boom. Mm-hmm. Why is Ahmed waiting? I, I've always wondered that a lot of times with the, the wrestling saves. Like, sometimes when they come in, it's like, well, it, it, it's already done. You like, missed it. This person's already devastated on the ground, on the mat, right? And it's like, what are you going to stop them from doing now? And now you just got beaten up. Right? Oh, like, yeah. I think, like, too. all it is, all it takes is do the one, make it look like he's going for another one. Ahmed comes out. They... It makes it looks like they end up beat him down. He does the other one anyways, right? So he, like it's fine that his his save was futile. Like I don't mind that. It's more just like you, the damage was done at that point, and they did. It's not like they did anything more to Undertaker after they took care of Ahmed. Yeah. Right? I guess nope. it. I guess you could argue sometimes you're so mad that that somebody did something that you just want to beat them up, but sometimes it. <laughs> Makes sense for the save to make it seem like they're saving someone from something. Yeah, you really only ha- like there's a there's a kind of a clock on it, really. I love I would love to find out uh, like this is an experiment I encourage someone in WWE to do. Like figure out like have a stopwatch out and then start start your stopwatch when the beatdown starts. And then everybody kind of like, like like do it with like eight people. I mean, like, OK, raise your hand when it's stupid that no one's coming out. Yeah. And you're like, because like, and then like, and then do it five seconds before that. And what you, your fix is so great because it's like, it's just have Ahmed Johnson come out 30 seconds earlier. People get hurt the exact same amount, except Ahmed Johnson doesn't look dumb. The only yeah. thing they could do is if Ahmed Johnson came out like holding a slice of pizza, like clearly being like, I was just eating. Where I was, <laughs> I was delayed. He's got like someone's face. Yeah. That would make sense to me. That'd be the only way to do it. Uh, so, Joe, I'd love to get your final thoughts on the show and then love to get your rating. Now, uh, you might remember from we did the SmackDown 6 podcast, we used the SmackDown video games of the era to rate it. Now, we have a different rating system this time, but it's still a three-part system. Where if it's bad, we would say it's in the dungeon. You know, Hart Family Dungeon, it kind of makes sense. Uh, if it's not bad, but it's not good, kind of in the middle, 
We call that the Neidhart zone. <laughs> and then if it is good, you would give it a TBT, ITBT, WTBT, EWB, which is the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. But you can't just say that. You need the letters instead. Yeah. Uh, which you don't have to re- repeat because I can look at it. <laughs> I was trying uh, to think of that in my head. But, <laughs> but let's get your final thoughts on the show and that rating, Joel. Uh, it was a good show. I enjoyed. I really enjoyed going back to this time. It's a really interesting time in WWF. You're, you're, post, you're getting out of the, the hokey 90s wrestling, right? The... Every gimmick was a profession, right? And and yes. you're away from that. Bret Hart is like, and Shawn Michaels are established as like the two guys, right? So And so you can see, so you're in this weird flux where you kind of see a bit of both almost. You see a bit of hokiness, but you also see the the crumbs of the Attitude Era coming up. So it was really, a really interesting time and it was really enjoyable to, you kind of sit there. The one thing, obviously, about this episode that I I wish would have been different. We didn't get to see Bret Hart wrestle, right? right. Obviously, anytime you get to see Bret Hart wrestle is a treat. So, um, you know that 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 will take, and like Shawn Michaels, right? And like you, we didn't really get to see any of the like really well stars in the ring guys at the yeah. time on this raw we saw we saw undertaker but yeah. undertaker's career <laughs> is filled with a lot of these type matches like he's legendary hall of famer no question one of the greatest of all time but like especially at this point in his career if you didn't get him with someone who could really go it was always a bit of a lackluster effort not not on his part but i don't that would be my one criticism of Undertaker's wrestling. He he didn't really elevate guys that were not good. Whereas like Brett and Sean could make me look like a million bucks in the ring, right? Even Absolutely. Though, like, I would have no, but they can do it because they're they're just that good. That's one thing Undertaker didn't have. He had the aura and the presence and everything else to carry him through a nearly four decade long career, but. So yeah, so that that I felt was like missing. You didn't kind of get to see like any kind of really like Rocky My V and Bulldog. Yeah, I don't know. Like that wasn't didn't really get to showcase either of them. So right, and that was it. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, kind of seeing where WWF was here in early 1997. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, so yeah, are you thinking? Are you saying? Is it Nightheart Zone? Is it the best there is, best there was? Kind of. I, I would go. I would go a solid Nightheart Zone. Yeah. I. I think it's a solid Nightheart Zone. I mean, we're hitting on the thing, which is what I find so funny about this is I look at these shows and I'm like, well, that was not great, but it's also like, well, but I also spent 40 minutes and had a great time. It's like, well, that's just like, I guess it's just a sign of a successful wrestling show that I'm just like, well, wasn't wasn't amazing, but I'm also kind of like, I'm just having a good time with it. So it's like, oh, that works out pretty well. Um, yeah. Like I, I think there's so many things I enjoyed from this show that weren't necessarily like blow away things were just things I enjoyed. Like I enjoyed Jerry Lawler doing his like class, like, like you said, playing to the back row where his motions are so exaggerated that you're just like, Oh man, that's, 
great. I love that. Or even like I, I think I popped so hard when Sid quoted Nietzsche. Like it just, it just <laughs> hit me in such a way. I was like, oh man, that's so good. Uh, yeah, and and just like seeing different things, like Bret Hart, really like calling the future for for the Rock and being like, this is the the best guy we've ever we've seen come in in a long time, and to know where the Rock went from there, right? So. Yeah, it's cool it's to see that stuff, stuff, man. This, I guess, I guess if you're gonna if you're gonna call it the one thing, you would say it's the it's the Sid quoting Nietzsche raw. That would be what it was. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, it, that would be. That's why I said the night hurt because there's nothing like from this episode that you're like, this is like memorable or this is a moment in time in 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 wrestling history. There's nothing there. Yeah, it's not. It's no great match, and it's not historic, which would be one of those things that you'd be like, "Oh, that would be." I could point to that, or or you have like a rollicking good time would be one other thing I would think of. Yeah. Also strange that they don't end a, a taped show. They don't end by saying, "We'll see you on Sunday in San Antonio." It's just Vader and the Nation are beating up Undertaker, and they go off the air. And you're like, "This is a pay per view on Sunday, guys." You might want to tell people that, like, <laughs> call your local local pay per view providers. Like, it's just strange for them to do like to end that way and kind of come come off with it. Um. You know, the good thing is that we will not be following that example by ending kind of like, bah, 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 nah, nah. no, we have a bonus match to talk about, folks. We're going to talk about the three-way, nine-man tag team war games from Fall Brawl 1998. And so I'm going to give you some context and some reasoning for picking this one, and we'll talk about the match itself. Uh, so, yeah, for the context, I mean, this is about a year after Bret Hart left the World Wrestling Federation. This is like September 98. Uh, and he's come, he has come to WCW, and uh, after he, he came there, he uh, – kind of joined the nwo he's kind of currently associated with nwo hollywood i don't know if he's all the way associated with this point um nwo hollywood is hulk hogan's variety of the nwo because there's also the nwo wolf pack we are already in that territory where to try to try make nwo into something better than it was or to try to give that some more life they split it up and put people and everyone who's ever mattered was in it even sting it doesn't make any sense for sting to be in an nwo but he was there macho man all sorts of things uh and so this also, even before I watched the match, I wrote the wheels might be coming off WCW. And I would argue you could see the wheels in some ways coming off in this show. I, I, yeah, I think you could really see that during this match. And I didn't expect that. I was just like, you know, I'm 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 going through. I, I have I made all this list of bonus matches and I go like, you know what? Like, I want to highlight I want to feature some WCW stuff that Brett did, because I think it's an important part of his career to at least say, like, he was there. It didn't take off the way it should have. There's all sorts of reasons for it. Um, and so let's see it. I was like, well, I can also talk about war games. Always fun to talk about war games. Like it, it's still a novelty to me. as like a guy who was a WWF fan and, uh, and we didn't really have, it wasn't like a war games DVD until like 2015 or something like that. Like it didn't exist until they started doing it really in back in NXT, like 2017, 2018 around there. And so to actually talk about war games or actually see one, I was like, oh, it's pretty cool. Let's do it. Also, um, you know, we're coming to you, uh, this is before, and we're, we're currently recording in fall 2022. Uh, they're going to do War Games and Survivor Series this fall, which you've already seen, folks, if you're interested in that. So there's been a main roster War Games WWE. So I also feel like it's like, hey, let's strike while the iron is not hot. It's been a pay-per-view or two since then, but wait, let's talk about it. Uh, and so, yeah, first thought on this match is that uh, it's kind of weird that WCW had a pay-per-view that was called World War Three, but War Games is a fall brawl. I never really thought about that before. Oh, yeah. They had a World War Three so. that was previous to this? I think it's after this, I think it's their is, November preview. Doesn't Hall well Halloween Havoc is Fall Bro Havoc, World War Three, Starcade. I think. Yeah, because the only match I remember watching in this area, I did watch uh, 
DDP versus Goldberg at Halloween Havoc. Like that was one that because I wasn't a WCW guy, but I remember going through some lists like, okay, what are some matches they need to watch? That was one of it. Great, great match. And it was it was oh, yeah. fun to see. Oh, that's how that got set up here in this match. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also, fun, that's one that you can just throw it on YouTube, by the way, folks, if you were, if have that. Or if you're just like, you know, if you're at work, you want a 15 minute break, just throw it on YouTube right there. It's a good way to spend your time. Goldberg versus uh, DDP. Uh, so, yeah, we're here. It's Fallbrow 98. Michael Buffer is here. They love to give him paychecks this time. Uh, he introduces a special edition of War Games. And uh, Buffer says this is WCW NWL Fall Brawl. This is when they would they would co-brand these shows. They were like, there's NWO had done enough where they could. Uh, I think they explained in the storyline where they're like, NWO has done things like merit being worthy of it. But it's also WCW being like, well, we need to have NWO somewhat involved in this at all times. So let's let's give them that. Let's treat them like it's part of the company. Like there were NWO slash WCW. It's strange to think about that. Mm-hmm. Imagine WWE doing that. Like you would never do that. No, I don't. I don't think you'd be able to. Imagine if you did it. Like it was like, welcome to WWE Bloodline Hell in a Cell. <laughs> it's equivalent, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. That, because that's the same idea. Like it's not like it's a brand within, right? You're not doing a WWE slash NXT show, right? right? Like obviously W or like a Raw slash NXT show, right? Like there's like promotions because you have people wrestling within themselves under the show. So when you have the show named after it's stable within the show, it's, it's bizarre. Yes. You're like, weird. what if there was just a WW, uh, sorry, NWO show? Like what happens? It's just Hollywood Hogan, like sitting there bragging for two hours. Right. Like, I mean, they're not wrestling each other as the NWO. Right. That's what, that's what they ran into with sold out where they, they're doing this show where they try to do it all NWO, but they're like, well, we need to face people who aren't in the NWO. And how do you do that where you have like commentator? It's it, yeah, doesn't work great. Um, that's not the most confusing thing about this match, I will say. Uh, yeah, we get a rundown. We get a run. <laughs> we get a rundown of the teams. Again, I'm put team in quotes, and we'll talk about why that's weird later. <laughs> that that oh yeah, I I was not ready for that. Well, he the lists team he, the team war games, and I'm like, oh wait, they're they're not teams. Wait, why why do they punching each other? Wait, I thought they're a team. Oh man, this match was was hard on my head, hard on my noggin. I couldn't follow it. It's like Michael Buffer is saying, "Hey, look, let me introduce you to the teams. First one, NWO Wolfpack. He specifies Kevin Nash is the team captain. Yes. And so it's like, okay, folks, this team captain's here. There's also Sting and Lex Luger. Okay, NWO Hollywood, the the captain, Hulk Hogan, also on the team, Stevie Ray, who's one half of Harlem Heat. Weird to think about that, but I guess he might have had relevance at the time." Uh, yeah, th- that was the only name in the match where I kind of felt like, well, this one's he's not quite the same level of uh, fame and prestige in the wrestling business as everyone else in that match at that time. Yeah, no kidding. Um, that was the one that stood out to me the most, except for the last one that I heard. Uh, also on Team NWO Hollywood is Bret Hart, our guy. And then Team WCW is Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, Diamond Dallas Page. Diamond Dallas Page is the team captain. And warrior and i was like oh my gosh the ultimate warrior is here i forgot about fall 1998 i totally did not remember he was in this match and i was like oh my gosh how long was warrior in wcw for? i mean <laughs> i think it's so brief because they have the big match at halloween havoc 98 which yeah, is like up, right? abysmal which, yeah but i mean he's not he does not make it out of 98 yeah, and, and he's and, also not in the video games that came out later that year too. So like he's not in WCW NWO Revenge. Because um, I feel like he cool. really came back for this big match with Hogan, 
Like, I don't think I don't oh, think only did with anybody else. Well, it was almost right? purely just so the Hogan could be Hogan wanted the win back from WrestleMania yeah. six, which is yeah. hilarious to think about that. Yeah. Uh, but that is the that is where he got to. Um, like, OK, so according to my, my sources online, uh, hired uh, WCW hired Warrior, as he was called Warrior, in May 1998. But I don't think he did anything for months before this actually happened. Uh, and then uh, it's November 98 uh, that he has his last appearance on Nitro. So he's only around for two months after this. Not even. Yeah. And, and you know, this match plus the match at Halloween Havoc. I don't He maybe had one or two others, I'm assuming. Yeah. I don't know if he even did. He might have only had those ones. Yeah. Uh, Michael Buffer encourages us to get ready to rumble. Well, he, he puts it a little better than I just did there. But that's what he does. And uh, we look to the ceiling and we see Pyro blasting from around the two ring cage of War Games. So, yeah, if, I mean, I you know, I don't know if you need me to explain War Games is but there's two two rings next to each other. And there's a ring with a roof that covers all of it. Uh, and I will say there's pretty cool music as the as the cage lowers. And then we have all these explosions going on. And uh, at least for when the the, uh, the reading of the rules and when guys come out, that cool War Games music continues, which is cool. Uh, and, uh, so we get some, uh, we get the rules and we begin with a five minute battle between two guys and the guy is added every two minutes. It's kind of typical in war games. Now this match can end in pinfall or submission, which is a little bit different. Um, we're also told they can end at any time before everyone is in the ring, which is a curious concept. So they're essentially setting up a war game situation where it could be four minutes, uh, and that would be it. And only two guys come out, which would be absurd. Uh, it would be the worst possible thing they could do. But they're like, hey, it could happen. And then we have an even more curious concept, which essentially, I would say, this part completely breaks the match. Because it, it doesn't make sense under what they just did. They lay out all the teams and they say, hey, here's the thing. The person who gets the pinfall or submission gets a world title shot against Goldberg, who is the current WCW champion. And so it's like, wait, okay. So let's say I'm on NWO Wolfpack. I'm I'm Sting, and I see my team captain Kevin Nash pinning a guy. Do I let him pin him? Because we would win, but also I get nothing, and he gets everything from that. And it thus, completely breaks the whole match. It it did, and it it was so confusing because I didn't really catch on to that until all of a sudden, like, oh, it's not clear either, right? They kind of talk clear. about it. They kind of talked about it. it. Wasn't like very clear to me as the first time watching this match. So when because what was the first thing that happened? Where I was like, "What? What?" It was when Roddy Piper comes in and he starts laying out DDP. I'm like, "Wait, he's on your team, buddy." He's on your team. What are you doing? Right? And it just it 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 was at the point where you're like, "Why do teams? Well, it, well, why, why do the teams? Like, you could have did one or the other, right? It was so weird that they wanted to do both because it really." It felt so messy because of it. Well, the like, thing is, the only person in that match that was like seemed to actually be working for a team was Stevie Ray, who was like oh, yeah. everything just... for Hogan, right? But which was probably a, a a character piece for him at that time. But it just, it was, it, oh, it was, it was, it took me out of it because I was so confused. Oh. I'm like, oh wait, oh it's because they're the title. Okay, that makes sense. But then you're like. And why do the teams in the first place? Why not this just this nine man war games? It's know. like 
It's confusing. The thing I thought about was like, well, if you if you don't have teams, it's not really war games because it's supposed to be the whole thing of like teams opposing each other. So, but I mean, like that should be enough to be like somebody in the back should have said, well, if it's not teams, it's not war games. Yeah. And, 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 and like and it be and this becomes it's not teams and they can't decide what is incidental that there's teams or that the winner gets a title shot. Uh, that because like it's just like well what matters because the intro teams matter they act like that totally matters and then kind of for the rest of the match they make it pretty clear just the person with the pinball is what matters yeah uh, thus the match is kind of broken that way mm-hmm. uh yeah so DDP comes out first uh, and the other guy is the WCW United States Champion our guy Brett the Hitman Hart uh, Buffer says he's wearing black with pink which is true he's wearing that uh and yeah I mean. Brett and DDP start things off, and Brett just kind of slaps DDP in the face, and he gets slapped right back, and DDP goes for a belly-to-belly slam, and then he tries for a diamond cutter, and then Brett blocks it. And they were told another confusing thing, which is that the next person in will be just selected by a random draw. And it's unclear if it's purely random, if it's like, if it's just anybody in the back could come out next, whether it's a, t- a teammate of Brett or a teammate of Diamond Dallas Page or a Wolfpack guy, uh, or if it's teams. And then they kind of explain it, but then it's completely ruined later on as well. Uh, so whatever they decide here doesn't make any sense. And I'll explain it as we go on. Uh, yeah, before the, before the 30 seconds of the five-minute period ends, uh, Brett gets a small package, uh, but it only gets a count of two. And like the, the whole time, the commentators are like, oh, if you get him here, that's your best chance to win in the first five minutes. You're like, well, you, also, it's hard to win a match in five minutes. Uh, and so the first next person out is Stevie Ray. So Stevie Ray and Bret Hart are on the same team. So I guess the draw is pretty random because we have two guys from one team and and one team has zero guys, mm-hmm. which is like, okay, that's that's weird. Uh, yeah, so Stevie Ray beats on DDP, shrugs off a clothesline from him and uh, before the next person comes out. And the next guy out is Sting from NWO Wolfpack. And uh, the crowd is pumped for Sting, who's here in red and black face paint. And he goes wild on Stevie Ray and leaps from one ring to the other to hit Stevie Ray with a clothesline and Mike Denae weirdly calls that a variation of the Stinger Splash, which it isn't. But that might be the most exciting moment of the match in some ways, that Sting is like in there and there's like life. Yeah, he brought, there's a couple minutes of life when he came in and started doing some fun spots. And that was, yeah. that was, uh, yeah, that was probably about it for that match for, for electricity. Well, the next out we have, you know, the electric Roddy Roddy Piper, but just like you say, he runs wild, he attacks DDP, <laughs> doesn't make it easy. And then the commentators literally say, it's every man for himself. And it's like, but it's not. There are and teams. It, and it, it hadn't it? been, and they weren't telling that story up to the point, right? Yeah. They were talking about Bret Hart and Stevie Ray working together, right? It was about the right. team aspect. It's like, oh, they're on the same team. Now they can get with DDP. They need to beat him quickly, right? They weren't saying, they weren't teasing anything of like, oh, but if Steve Ray goes for the cover, Brett's going to want to stop because he wants the win, right? They didn't even say that. It was like nope. a typical war games. They have the advantage. Go for the win, right? But it's like, then when Roddy, that's when Roddy Piper came up, that's what threw me off because he was the first one who started going against that, just hitting everybody. And I was like, wait, no, DDP's on your team. What What are you doing, right? It was just, oh, it was, it was, it was, it was hurting my head watching it. It, it, I, totally and i'm also like you, you don't want me in this match being like wait so could piper pin ddp even though it's on the same team is that possible like why would the ref even care at that point why like what what matter like why would you pretend yeah. teams matter in that instance <clears throat> hard to yeah hard to make sense of it uh, and i'm just watching i'm just like man uh 
like a match with Piper, Sting, Bret Hart should be way more fun than this. But all it really is at this point is a guy comes in, he gets a couple moves in, and then they just punch each other, throw each other in the cage, go into the other ring. Okay. Uh, Luger, Luger comes out next for NWO Wolfpack. And it's like, okay, Wolfpack's had two guys come out since NWO Hollywood had anyone come in. That's weird. Um, yeah. Bobby Heenan says you can't work as a tandem. You can only work as yourself. Again, goes against teams entirely. Uh, yeah. Also, the commentator, the announcer at ringside is announcing when there's a minute left in the two minutes. And it's like, we don't need that. That's two minutes, guy. Like, don't do that, please. Uh, <laughs> Piper gets a sleeper hold on Stevie Ray at one point. Uh, Piper's finisher is a sleeper hold. Commentators don't notice this. Don't care about it. Fans don't seem to care about it. Wrestlers don't seem to care about this. That, uh, you know, Roddy Piper is probably going to win here. <laughs> I'm like watching. I'm like, I mean, yeah. Could you, could you take issue with a guy's finisher being a sleeper in 1998? Like maybe, but it is. It's Roddy Piper. That is what his finisher is. Right. Uh, and so out next is Kevin Nash, which means that every member of Wolfpack came out between members of NWO Hollywood coming out. Because Steve Ray comes out, and then Hogan hasn't even come out yet. Everybody else from another team has come. It's like, what? Uh, now, Kevin Nash, thankfully, he comes in and he breaks up the sleeper hold because the Piper's about to win, surely. And he goes for a jackknife powerbomb on uh, Piper instead, but it gets broken up. And then Hulk Hogan just sneaks out shortly after, before the two minutes are up. And Joel, of course, he's stopped by the referee who says, no, you got to wait your full two minutes. Oh, no, wait. No, he just comes in the ring. The ref just lets him in. His two minutes are up. The ref's just like, yeah, sure, come in here. I'm like, What? <laughs> We have a semblance of rules. This is another thing. Yeah, another example of like rules are kind of nice to have. Uh, yeah, I mean, and then I see that uh, Luger has Bret Hart in a torture rack, another finisher. I mean, Bret Hart could tap right here, could win, lose the match for his team and the rest of everybody else. But then uh, it's okay because Hulk Hogan is just going around with, uh, well, it's called a slapjack, uh, which is a bit vague. I mean, it's kind of like a sock with quarters in it. It's kind of the only thing I can really think of. It. Like, I don't even know if there's any other... It doesn't sound like that's what a slapjack is, but I would say that's probably what it is. That's what I, from looking it up and from what I can tell, it's kind of like a sock full of quarters, I guess. Right. Uh, yeah, Hulk almost hits Bret Hart with it, but he kind of like, Hulk kind of like backs off. Like he's like, oh, no, please don't get mad at me. And then Stevie Ray chop blocks Bret, who's on his team. It's like, okay. And so Hulk and Stevie Ray are kind of acting as a team apart from Bret. And they take out everybody with a slapjack. Hogan hits Kevin Nash with a leg drop. He doesn't pin him. He he signs that he will do it, but then he doesn't. He does not <laughs> pin him after hitting a leg drop. It's like, okay. And then without warning, both rings fill with smoke, which is not typical in wrestling. I don't know if you guys know this, but this is not usually happening. And from out of the smoke stands Warrior, who pounds on his chest. He's got this big painted jacket on, and Hogan immediately beats on him from behind, knocking him down. He just successfully beats on him. And then there's more smoke. And when it clears, Warrior is gone, but Hogan is holding his jacket, acting like he's like, ah, good, I got rid of him. And then Ho Warrior runs out from the back. And you're like, well, how how they do that? And so I, I assume they had, whatever, at the time they had this guy named Renegade, who was like a whole like a total Warrior ripoff. I think they just had him be Warrior for that first part. And then yeah. Warrior actually runs out from the back. Yeah, I assumed I assumed it was something along those lines. Also, I don't know if you I don't know if you've ever heard this, but like. This uh, supposedly there was like a trap door in the ring for Warrior to come out of, and this is the show where British Bulldog lands on that trap door and hurts his back, and that ends up being like a big problem for the rest of his life. Have you ever heard that before? No, I haven't heard that story. So they had it. It was like for this spot exactly. But the thing I thought was weird about it is that earlier in the match, Stevie Ray is like between the two rings, like almost falling in between, and I was like, Warrior fully could have been under one of the rings. 
and just crawled out in between that little crack. Like 100%, yeah. it would be easy. To put a trap door in there seems like a completely unnecessary thing. Yeah, like, yeah, he could have just climbed, or even just, yeah, there's so many other ways that could have done that rather sure. than a trap door in the ring. So Warrior comes out. Uh, he also doesn't wait two minutes. He just comes in. Uh, he runs wild on Hogan and Stevie Ray, but Hogan manages to sneak away, and uh, he gets out of the cage, and uh, he, Hogan even locks the cage behind him, uh, and he has the help of the disciple, Brutus Beefcake, who is just called the disciple at the time. And so, yeah, Hogan's just out of the ring. He's out of the cage. They wander around the cage as Warrior tries to, like, stalk him inside, but he acts like, I don't know, like, the way you look if you put, like, a tiger in a cage, and he was mad at you still. And uh, they just kind of, they start to leave, but then Warrior kicks to the wall of the cage. The cage rips. He comes out. Uh, he tacks Hogan in the aisle. Security pulls him apart. I feel like some smoke would have helped there, maybe, if Warrior wants to use some magic. Again, he's using yeah. magic before, but now he's getting separated by, by security. And then uh, back in the ring, Bret Hart holds Diamond Dallas Page for Stevie so he can hit him with a slapjack. But he misses. He hits Bret Hart with a slapjack. Stevie hits a diamond cutter on Stevie Ray. And would you believe it that Stevie Ray is the one who takes the pinfall because DDP hits him and they get to one, the two, and the three. Uh, Bret Hart does try to break up the pinfall, break it up, but it is too late. Um, yeah, and then they end the match by saying the winner of the War Games is one guy after starting off by saying <laughs> it was a team. Uh, Joel, your thoughts on this match? Um, if you ever want to understand the allure of War Games, this is not the one to watch. Mm-hmm. There are, are far better war games to understand the history and, and why it was a prestigious match and why NXT felt it was necessary to bring it back and why they're bringing it back at this year's Survivor Series, which if you're listening in 2023, you have, will have already seen. So it was, yeah, it was just sometimes like this was, yeah, when we kind of say talk about the beginning of the end for WCW, this was there's so much in this match that was convoluted for convoluted sake. Right. And you're just one of those things where you have some of the greatest wrestlers in the world in this match. 100%. Right. And and the fact that they didn't let Bret Hart and, and DDP really do something special at the beginning when they're given time and right, it was just there's so much lackluster. And like this the the smoke warrior stuff is it's so bizarre to me when they do these smoke and mirror stuff with characters that have never been smoke and mirrors before. Right. I mean, when it, Undertaker does this, it makes sense. It's his character. When you have any sort of character do these things, and it makes sense to the character, it fits. But it just, you know, because if WCW you know, just pretended that Warrior was supernatural, and he's never been supernatural before. Yeah, he's I guess like is, is that his gimmick in 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 WCW is his gimmick in WCW that he is supernatural. I don't think they've established that. Well, at one point he did no, – here's the weird thing. You say smoke and mirrors. He literally had smoke, and then he also appeared in Hulk Hogan's mirror, but other people couldn't see him. Uh, that was like a whole thing they did one episode of Nitro where, like, Hogan's looking in the mirror and Warrior's there. He's like, oh, man. But Vishal's like, what are you seeing, Hogan? I don't see him there. So literally <laughs> Warrior had smoke and mirrors during the series. Smoke and run. mirrors in this run. Smoke wow. and mirrors. I don't wow. know if they did it on purpose. Uh, yeah, yeah, just pretending he's the Undertaker is strange. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's in the dungeon. What else is there to say? I mean, this is like, you know, we were, we we're t- talking about a time before in the January 1997 time, WCW still very much successful, but then, you know, we have to fall 98 and WWF is starting to win and they will never give it up. 
And even though you have so much talent in this match, uh, it is at the service of a really insane storyline, and everybody else just does not have any opportunity to do it. And it's also convoluted and bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just a dungeon. What else can we say? What else can we say, truly? Yeah, there was no, there was no real high spots. As I said, other than no. Sting coming in with energy, jumping over from one ring to the other, there was nothing else in that to pop the crowd. I guess maybe like the warrior in smoke and the warrior kicking out the cage, right? But in the yeah. end, those were one of those spots where you're just kind of like raising your eyebrow. Rather <laughs> yeah. Than, yeah, right? So it was just, yeah, it was a pretty lackluster effort. Even if you were like the world's biggest Ultimate Warrior fan, uh, you'd still be disappointed by it because you're like, well, you don't really see him fight him. He just comes out, does a thing, gets out, gets separated. Like that's like that's what you do on like a show. Like this is a pay per view. Like we want to see people actually fight or see yeah. Warrior uh, beat somebody or like win, right? You want to see like it's just it totally doesn't fit what they're trying to do here. So yeah, that is that's War Games kind of not really. <laughs> but that's what we watched for Bret Hart. That was the Bret Hart match we watched. Yeah. Bret Hart does like pretty much nothing. And it's yeah. not really his fault. No, you can't play Bret Hart for that one. Oh, man. You know, folks, the next show we're going to be covering uh, is better than what I just talked about. It is Royal Rumble 1997. I'm excited to talk about that. It's a big show, big ups. We're excited to cover it here on the podcast. Uh, we, uh, Yeah, we're also uh, we're Smack Attic and Smack Attic Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We encourage you, as the show wraps up, to share with a friend. I'm sure you know somebody who might be interested in these kind of this wrestling minutia. Whether it's Fall Brawl 98 or all the other fun things we talked about today. You can also review the show on Apple Podcasts. And the last thing I need to do is thank you, Joel, for being here, buddy. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. Anytime I get to talk about Bret Hart, I'm, I'm happy and willing to participate. Absolutely. Well, folks, smoke is beginning to fill the podcast studio here. And so I have to go before Ultra Warrior comes and just messes the whole thing up. So we'll talk to you about Royal Rumble next time.